from the KUAM Podcast Network, this is Arlene Live with conversation on island issues facing Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands. Now, here's Arlene. Okay, so today is the 29th of May 2019, and I have the distinct privilege of being in a Fanihi cage with two scientists. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Please tell me your name and your role here in uh, LUTA. My name is Dr. Joshua Gilbert. I'm the Rota Field Supervisor, so I basically run the Fish and Wildlife Office on the island with uh, three other staff members, hopefully soon expanding to five. Um, and I'm also in charge of any of the bat conservation efforts we have for the Finihi and also for the sheath-tailed bat, which is found on uh, Goat Island between Tinian and uh, Rota. Okay, and also? Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca Hamner. I'm a wildlife biologist, and I've been helping out with the care of the orphaned Finihi that we have here. Okay, and she's really uh, not announcing this, but she's also the spouse mm-hmm. of... Uh, <laughs> Of Dr. Gilbert. Okay, so uh, Dr. Gilbert, please uh, give us a highlight of these wonderful creatures that uh, are are here in Luta. My heart um, aches when I look at them because they used to be on Guam, and now we've really they're really endangered there. But um, thank you very much for allowing me this opportunity. Give us an idea of your work here in Luta and about these uh, the Fanihi. Okay, so. I'm basically in charge of, of doing all the monitoring here on the island. Uh, Rota is the stronghold of the species. Um, we have quite a few bats. There's, at the moment, there's three main colonies. Um, but elsewhere in the Marianas Islands, it's, they're not doing very well at all. Um, if we could replicate what's happened on Rota elsewhere, we could actually get the species delisted, which is part of the requirements. We need to, Out of the five southern Mariana Islands, we need to have... Uh, stable to increasing populations and we only have that on rota although last year with uh, the typhoon that came through mankuk uh, it dropped down the population by a couple of thousand so um we uh, we're going out now and, and doing more monitoring they've just reformed back into colonies um just to see how bad that drop has actually been um there used to be these bats used to be found throughout the mariana islands uh, but now on guam there's around about 50 or less than 50 normally Although, uh, just after that typhoon, a few of the rotor bats probably flew over to find food over there, since uh, rotor got pretty much stripped bare. Um, Guam also used to have the little Mariana fruit bat, which was about half the size, and uh, it unfortunately is now listed as extinct. The bat population on rotor has uh, been seesawing over a number of years, so next year we're hopefully seeing how aware the locals are about that, and we'll be conducting some surveys with local hunters and conservationists to see if they what their understanding of the current bat population is um, and that will be done by the Marianas College um, they'll be basically acting as a fireball conducting the interviews so we don't have direct contact with the with the locals so people will be more willing to speak freely um, so every once a month we go out to each colony and we count how many bats are there hanging in the trees and then we plot that over the year to see what the yearly trend is. And then we take the yearly average and we can plot that to see um, what the 
trajectory of the um, bat colonies are. If anyone ever finds an injured bat or um, an orphan bat, they can turn that into us, no questions asked. And then we hand rear them and then try to release them back into the wild. So we have two bats at the moment. Uh, one is called Jenny. She's a cute little female, which is currently chewing on my fingers. <laughs> um, and the other one is Bam Bam. Um, and they were both turned into DFW. They were bottle fed uh, and then they get a piece of fruit each day along with some um, formula milk and some bat protein mix and uh, eventually we'll be releasing them into the wild and hopefully they'll become part of the breeding population and help boost the numbers. After the typhoon, you said mangled? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was, how stressed were the fanihi? Pretty bad. The normal pattern for the bats, are, um, in the evening they'll fly out, they'll fly all over the island, you'll see them everywhere, they'll forage and then early in the morning they'll come back to the colony. Um, and roost up and they roost together in numbers but immediately after the typhoon one of the colonies numbers completely dropped right down um, because they lost a whole lot of roosting trees and another colony neighboring had an increase of numbers and for the first week oh, you've just got a bat on you and I know you're allergic to him get up yeah <laughs> no he's been what? trying to do that since I got in this cage what did we say what can I say no. I attract bats <laughs> no Bad bat. Yeah. Stay there, Bam Bam. <laughs> um, so, sorry, where was I? You were, you were at oh, the... So you, it's okay, it's okay, let it go. Yeah, I don't want to um, traumatize it. So, <clears throat> it... Uh, uh, so, uh, you were talking about, about the... <laughs> af- right after, about how they were depopulated in one colony, mm. and the other one increased. Yes. Uh, and then, f- so for the week or so after the typhoon, the bat population was okay, because there's still plenty of fruit around, it's just on the ground, and they'll climb down to the forest floor to uh, um, feed on that. But after all the fruit rotted they were in deep trouble and so quite quickly the colonies were abandoned and what we started seeing is the bats spread out throughout the forest um, and not traveling as much as they could as they normally do I think this was to um, conserve the energy reserves and what we'd find would be small groups of bats that would be basically resource um, guarding on pandanus that most of the pandanus fruit managed to stay on the vine so they'd wait for the pandanus to ripen and then you'd have this feeding frenzy where a couple of times I would drive past and there would be 20 or 30 bats um, just pulling this one pandanus fruit apart in a, like a... a look, Desperate. Look, yeah, it looked like a Black Friday sale <laughs> at Walmart. Um, and uh, so that allowed us to actually uh, catch a few of them by hand with hand nets and we would attach these GPS trackers to them. And uh, what we basically ended up seeing was that the bats would stay in one area um, and then every so often they may fly a couple of miles and then they'd fly back, be back in the same space um, then over the next couple of days. Uh, and But now, uh, around about March, end of March, beginning of April, they've reformed back into colonies and they're... Uh, it's okay, let her go. <laughs> Just let her go. Um, I can handle it. Well... They've reformed back into colonies, and uh, now they're counting them is a lot easier. Oh. Um, if there's no more typhoons this year, um, the population should make a bit of a bounce back yeah. over the next couple of years. Um, but the problem is with climate change going, we're going to get more and more typhoons that are stronger, uh, and that's going to cause a major problem to all of the Mariana Islands, Guam included. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because as there's more energy and heat in the system, uh, that fuels the typhoons to become larger and larger. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you can't say any one individual typhoon is because of climate change, but what we can say is the frequency of the large typhoons are going to increase, um, which is bad news for all of us. Okay. Uh, you said that one, uh, one colony minimized and the other one increased. Mm -hmm. Did they join to the other? Yes, that's what we think uh, happened. Okay. That Basically, those big trees fell, so the bats had to have somewhere to hang, so they ended up hanging next door. Um, and th there has been rumours of, of large sightings of bats on Saipan. Uh, Tinian has never had very good uh, forest on it, because it, most of it was basically uh, clear-felled um, during World War II. Um, but, uh, and we haven't had anyone go out to uh, Goat Island in a while because it's kind of difficult to get out there. So I'm not mm. too sure what the population's doing there. But we'll be going out there next year, hopefully, mm. to do some sheathtail bat work. And while I'm there, I'll, I will do some um, fruit bat counts. So without the impact of typhoons on their lifespan, what is the lifespan of a fanihi? We think around about 15 to 18 years, based on what the other um species uh, in this genus do. Uh, microbats live a lot longer. You, we know of um, small insectivorous bats that have lived up to 40 years. Although I shouldn't actually say microbat anymore because uh, <laughs> they've done the genetics and apparently they're one big group with the fruit bats nested in the middle. So the object idea of micro and, and megabats have, has been uh, discounted, but it's old habits die hard. So yeah. small insectivorous bats will live longer than um, the fruit bats. Oh, old habits die real hard. I'm holding a recorder rather than my video camera, and what I'm seeing are these bats that are less than a pound just climbing all over you like you're some kind of pandanus tree. This is Arlene Live, and we've got more coming up in just a moment. Hey everybody, and what is going on? Jason Salas here with KUM Digital, and I'm gonna get you right back to your show in just a moment, but I am popping in to let you know about the amazing opportunities you have to sell your brand, get customers for your service, or promote your event on all our library of podcasts on the KUM Podcast Network. Our shows have global distribution and are sent to all the major podcast directories and devices, from mobile phones and tablets, to laptops and smart speakers, to integrated TVs, and all on demand. By running an audio ad on the KUM Podcast Network, you'll guarantee timely exposure and market penetration for your stuff and see immediate results no matter what your end game or actionable items are. You want to drive downloads for a cool new app that you've built? Done. Want to see your restaurant gain an instant surge in foot traffic? Easy peasy, man. Does your business need some sort of boost? All you got to do is plug a promo code that ties into an incentive and see measurable, tangible results that very same day. Podcasting is the internet's fastest growing ad platform, and you can reach customers and partners now. To find out more about our ad opportunities and how podcast plugs can work for you, get in touch with us at podcast at KUAM.com. Just think about it. Your ad could be running right here instead of my shrill voice, and your business would have a big leg up on the competition. So don't let this opportunity to connect with customers, extend your reach, and increase your effective exposure pass you by. Get in touch with the KUAM digital marketing experts by emailing podcasts at KUAM.com. That's podcasts, plural, at KUAM.com. And let us put together an effective marketing plan for your stuff, just like this ad has been. See what I did there? All right, everybody. We're going to talk to you soon. But for now, let's get you back 
to this podcast. Now, more Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Yeah, I'm, I've been trying to minimize how much time I spend in here. This is a new development uh, um, that they've started doing this, okay. which is kind of giving me some cause concern. of concern because yes. when we release them, we don't actually want them seeing people as being friendly. We want them to stay away um, because we do have some uh, illegal hunting still okay. on, uh, on Rota. Um, How bad is that? We don't actually know. That was one of the things we want to find out next okay. year um, okay. to actually quantify uh, how, what sort of effect that has. But I, I get told different things from different people. One of the um, common threads is that it's actually decreasing. Okay. That uh, most of the younger generation aren't really interested in eating bat, um, which is uh, good news for the bats. Yes. Um, but. Not. Ultimately, the Fish and Wildlife Department wants to see the species delisted, and when that happens, cultural harvest can actually be reinstituted. Wonderful. So we want to get the colony up to what size? What size would the Fish and Wildlife be comfortable with taking it off the endangered list? Uh, that would be a, a group discussion above my pay grade, but I know the thresholds that have been uh, set so far, is, as I said, is in the lower um, five islands, so that is Saipan, Tinian, Iguiguan, um, Rota and Guam, okay. three of those islands must have a stable to increasing population. Mm. Um, and so far we only have that on Rota. Now that's a combination of a number of things. Guam has the fruit, uh, the snake, mm -hmm. which is a major problem there. And so that I think that's reducing the numbers of bats we can have on Guam. Um, Rota is the best island because it has... Uh, not just because I live here and I love it, um, <laughs> but because it doesn't have the the, uh, the this brown tree snake, right? And it also has a lot of untouched forest, which undeveloped, yeah. Yeah, it's undeveloped. Yeah. Uh, even great during, habitat. Great habitat. Even during World War Two, um, apparently mm. the the Americans when they came through to clean out the Japanese from the from mm. the islands, fired a few rounds. No one fired back, and they just kept going. Right. So Guam, Saipan, and Tinian were where the main fighting was, and there was a lot of bombs dropped. A lot of forest uh, demolished. Um, the uh, next island up is quite small, so it wouldn't be able to hold much of a population. Um, Tinian has very low uh, forest forest quality, and Saipan is chock a block full of people. Um, but uh, again, uh, there should be more bats on Saipan, I think, than than what there are, currently are. Well, when they get healthy, they'll just naturally populate the islands, won't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, they once they reach carrying capacity. So you've got oh. this idea in biology of called carrying capacity, which is basically the maximum number of individuals that an environment can handle, that can that can keep. And if the limiting factor is the amount of food that is available, uh, and then each generation the there'll be a certain number of bats that will fly out to the other islands to, to establish there. Um, so Rota definitely is not at full carrying capacity yet when it has not been ravaged by a typhoon. When it has, um, that may be one of the mechanisms that have caused the bats to f spread out throughout the Marianas Islands. And in, in the past, like a thousand years ago, typhoon comes through, so they all just pick up and go to another island for a while until the habitat improves again. And some of them would stay there. Okay. Now tell me about mating and, and what do you call it when they have um, offspring? Is it... Uh, 
Uh, pups. Pups. Okay. Yeah. So, how often do they mate, and how many pups do they do, do they have at one time? Well, as far as we can tell, uh, they just have one pup. Uh, oh. Most bat species, that's the case, but there are a few that will have um, triplets or, or even up to triplets. But this is mainly because mum, for quite a long period of time, is carrying the the baby around with her. And uh, even when it weighs up to half her own body weight, she'll mm. be have this little baby tucked underneath her wing. So uh, obviously you don't want to have twins if that's what you're doing. What's the incubation time? Uh, I'm not too sure. We don't. We would actually have to do some studies on this species to find out when they implant. Various okay. animals throughout the animal kingdom can do different things. Like one, some like with humans, uh, as soon as there's been a mating, the embryo implants straight away and we, and we don't hold on to it but there are some species that the females will store the sperm for later there are other species that you'll have uh, fertilization and then the basically the embryo gets held in the suspended animation um, so it all depends on the species and what it, it what it requires so we don't know what it is with bats no I, not well we do for different species but okay. I, I wouldn't not wanna, for finini. I wouldn't want to say exactly okay. what they're doing. Um, well, I'm going to follow you closely. <laughs> I'm going to be interested in that incubation part because one question that pops into my mind is during the once they um, how do you call it, fertilize and they hold it in the sack, does it then do they continue to mate or do they stop mating? Oh, they stop mating. Okay. Like once once the the female's pregnant. Okay. But the mating uh, for fruit bats it's basically one male will have like a little harem of females in one of the trees. Like he'll he'll own essentially own a branch <coughs> oh. and he'll shoo other the other males away. Um, and then uh, the male will, will wrap his wings around the female, and then they'll breed um, multiple times um, every half an hour or so. How many females to a male? Depends on how good how suave that male ah, is. <laughs> Stud of the month. Stud of the month. Yeah. Um, okay. So that basically means that females are are a limiting More. factor for the population. Yeah. Um, uh, Survival rates, Josh. Uh, we it's one of the things we'll be looking at getting into. Um, we would like to start put, putting uh, thumb tags on. Okay. So if you look at the wing here, um, bats come from the genus. Coroptera, sorry, the order Coroptera, which essentially is Latin for hand wing. Oh. So you look at the arm, that little claw out the front, that's their thumb, and then each of those are the fingers that kind of extend out. Right. Um, so on that thumb, we can put uh, stainless steel bands of different colors, and uh, we put the so we've got metal, which will have the number of the bat on it, and then red, orange, green, so on. To identify them? On them. So you can have two on each thumb, so that gives us a four um, thumb code. Mm. And which side you put the metal band on will indicate whether or not it's a male or a female. So I like to think that I put the uh, the males on the left-hand side because my wife's always right. <laughs> <coughs> oh, I like that. Um, and so when you're out in the field, if you ever do see one of these uh, bats with a band on it, uh, try to work out which wing it's on. Oh, no. um, and when you write down the... Uh, uh, the combination you go from the tip the top of the thumb down to the ankle so the very that would if it was at the very top next to the end of the claw mm. that'd be metal green and then you put a slash and then go to the top of the other thumb uh, orange blue for and example that'll tell you male or female that will tell us male and female mm. and the code for which individual bat that is mm. so what i'm hoping to do is that if guam also does this we'll we'll agree on some sort of Method, standard yeah. uh, right. method and that way if i ever see a guam com color combination on rotor i'll know that i've got a guam bat here Wonderful. and and vice versa and then maybe using that and and people 
calling in, we can uh, track them. Wow. That'll also allow us to track longevity. Um, even if someone finds like a dead bat on the side of the road with the tag on it, they could, mm. um, uh, if it's smelly, uh, yeah. <laughs> I understand not wanting to pick it up, but they can tell sure. us exactly where it is, we'll come and get it. Yeah. Uh, and then we can start working out exactly how long they're surviving in the wild here. Don't go away. There's more coming up with Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. What's up, fellow online addicts? I'm Asha, and it's literally my job to scour the internet every day to see what you guys are saying about our stories and to see what you're snarking on. If you got beef with a particular island issue, we'll give your voice an extra boost on trend spotting. It's our weekly rundown of everything that's got you buzzing and what conversations you can't look away from. From the serious to the silly, from ludicrous news to legit headlines, from the weirdest Instagram posts to the most retweeted stories, to the insane DMs we get, we're going to show you the deeper side of what's making group chats, what's trending, and what you're sharing. So check out Trendspotting on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and on IGTV, all at KUAM News. If you've got something to say, sound off. We'll find you. And now, back to your show right here on the KUAM Podcast Network. Now, back to the conversation with Arlene Live. I, I like the I like the caution that you tell them that even if they if they see the bat in any condition, yeah, turn it in and no questions asked. Yes. And um, that, that really encourages partnership, right? Yes. Um, I'm part of the scientific side of thing. I'm not in enforcement. So if I walk around the corner and I see someone poaching, I will, I am forced, I have to uh, report that mm. in. I, I don't have a choice in that. But I'm not out to find anybody. Right. Um, it just if you're silly enough to get caught, <laughs> then yeah. it's on you. Yeah. Um, but it's, my mission is not to... Uh, even stop the poaching that is somebody else's job my job is to do the science behind it and um, work with the local community to see the numbers increase how long have you been on gluta uh this i'm in year and a half now so i started february last year um i love it i actually come from a little island as well in in new zealand it's not tropical so it's a lot colder there Mm. um but it has a it feels a little like home um new zealand's a beautiful place josh oh it's gorgeous we don't have any fruit uh, any fruit eating bats though yeah well Again, <laughs> I really enjoyed being there myself. Did you want to add anything to this discussion? Did he miss anything? Since I, he's the done a great is, job. Since he's the, the wife is biologist. always right. <laughs> yeah. He's the bat biologist. Yeah. I, I mainly helped out taking care of these guys when they were really little. Okay. They would fit in the palm of your hand and they would just curl up and snuggle in. Because uh, when they're that small, their mom, as he said, carries them around. She'll right. fly around with them. So they need that contact and security so they don't feel abandoned. Now, so, there's one right now on, on your back. Is that what it's doing? It is. It's crawling on my head at the moment. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. As I say, I raised these guys since yeah. they were tiny, and they, they seem to enjoy climbing on me. You look like you have a new hairdo. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So if you, you have to discourage them from doing that or they won't make it, right? We, yeah, we, we are going to discourage yeah, that. Um, yeah. They had gone through a phase when we first put them out in this outdoor enclosure where they wouldn't fly onto us. Mm. And we thought that was great. But now they're kind of used to the area mm. and they're like, oh, you keep coming back and feeding us. So we like you. We Your mom, they're imprinting. You. Is that what it, they call yeah, it? Yeah. Yep. Imprinting. Yeah. So just like got, you know, bat dad and bat mom yeah. here and. But we don't we don't want them to do that in of the wild. Not. I mean, they've got very sharp claws, so yeah. as you'll see, I keep shielding my eyes. Well, I felt it when face. they got yeah. on my back. Yeah. So we don't want them flying yeah. onto people hiking no. in the forest. Um, definitely not someone that wants to take them home. Right. So. All right. So when were when will you release? Um, we're hoping soon. So the for species similar to them, they'll stay with their mom for like six months to a year. <laughs> so they'll be about a year at the end of August. Um, we also want to make sure that they're um, heavy enough to carry a transmitter so we can see where they're flying to yeah. after they go. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're actually both just above that threshold now. Yeah. And then, you know, we had that big typhoon. So the forest got flattened. The fruit, you know, was not around. It's coming back now, which is great. But yeah. we want to make sure there's enough food out there right. for them yeah. to eat when we set them free. Yeah. So when you start tracking them, you will be literally invading a colony right you'll be able to get no so it actually and again this oh, is just, josh's project oh, but um so just you're just gonna see where they're going you, you won't you the transmitter um is on them okay. but you can download the data remotely hmm. so we just have to get i don't even know what it is within uh is it 200 meters or something so yeah, you can stay even, far away further, even further than that oh, like okay. we, we've yeah. i've downloaded over like 800 meters or further oh, wow. to get actually probably even a couple of kilometers in ideal conditions it depends okay. on a lot of radio telemetry depends on the angle that the transmitter is on um, and the weather conditions at the time and whether you have a direct line of sight mm -hmm. between you and the transmitter like all those things will decrease the um the distance that the mm -hmm. transmitter can can fire off but we can't when we're doing the counting for example we can't approach um the bats in any direction that would allow our scent to go into the colony uh -huh. Um, when that happens, the entire colony will flush, and that is a terrible thing, especially if there is babies there, because quite often in the panic, mum will drop the baby, and then you lose the recruitment of that individual for the next year. If, if the mother doesn't come back and grab it, um, it's gone. Mm. And so I think that, when we were talking about cultural harvest before, uh, the fact that people were eating fahini wasn't the problem it was the way they were being harvested in the numbers mm -hmm. and so with shotguns and that sort of thing you could come to a colony and collect a large number quickly um, but you'd also cause the, a lot of the babies to drop and as a result the population just couldn't handle that sort of methodology and hunting right. um, that we haven't had a colony poached on rota for quite a number of years so i think even the people who may be out there hunting illegally um, have understand that yeah. and so um, that gives me some, some hope for the future yeah, that yeah. even if we can't agree we can minimize the uh, the long-term impacts yeah. because the hunters want to conserve them forever as well sure um, it's just that we we have a small disagreement about exactly how to go about that and how often and how often yeah eventually one day uh, they will be delisted but they for example the gray wolf was delisted uh, right. in North America and then it wasn't managed properly and then was relisted again so uh, if they do to get delisted, that doesn't mean we can suddenly just go back to how it was before right. last time. There has we, to be an adjustment. It has to be. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we want uh, input back from the hunting community. What 
restrictions or rules would they think would could be they good, support right could they support what would they be good good idea um some of them may actually have some things we haven't thought of that we'll be like hey that's a great idea let's do that mm-hmm. um so we want that feedback and that's the, again another reason why it's coming through the college is so there's that firewall people can freely speak yeah. um the other thing was we want to talk to non-hunters as well um for two reasons everyone's opinion in the marianas islands i think is important mm-hmm. Uh, the other reason is if someone takes part in the in the survey, they can plausibly say, I'm one of the non-hunters that, that yes. spoke to them. So yeah. uh, they'll have the anonymity. They'll also be able to say that they were one of, part of the non-hunting group, okay. even if they weren't. Right. Um, and we'll get everyone's opinions and ideas about how to proceed. Right. Stay where you are. The conversation continues with Arlene Live when we come back. Start your day the KUAM way with our new streaming shows on Facebook Live each weekday. Here's your starting lineup. Mondays will give you a glimpse into our morning meetings with the KUAM news team. Tuesdays, join our group chat with Chris Barnett. Wednesdays, it's crime time with the island's law enforcers. Thursdays, get the latest info with Dave Delgado, who's in the zone. And Fridays, we get Fit AF, fitness and fun. And the best part, all our shows are completely interactive, so you're directly part of the conversation. Join us Monday through Friday starting at 9 a.m. Start your day the KUAM way. The conversation continues now on the KUAM Podcast Network with Arlene Live. So can you explain what you just did for us there, Josh? Right, so we came up into Sabana and we're along one of the cliff lines looking down onto the, the bat colony from above. And so we're downwind from the, the bats so they can't smell us. And because if, if they smell us they'll, they'll panic and fly away and potentially abandon the colony. And if they have uh, any young with them they'll drop those young and then those young will die. So um, it's very important that if you ever see a bat colony you don't approach it. You you report it in for someone to come and count it, um, and you keep as downwind as possible from it, because otherwise you could end up inadvertently killing some some young bats. So, the first thing I do is scan around with my binoculars to work out where all the different groups of bats are, because there's one main uh, cluster and two really large trees, but then then surrounding them there's some like smaller groups. And as you go further out, you might get a few bachelor um, troops and other, and other bits of the trees. So I work out whereabouts all the bats are, and then I systematically go through and I count um, the number of bats in each tree. And some of the big trees I break up into smaller groups, like um, I'll count all the ones on one branch first and then call out that number, then move on to the next branch. Um, whenever possible, I, I count the tree twice, um, just to make sure I'm getting close to the same number. Sometimes some bats will be close together and you can't tell them apart. Other times um, there could be a shadow there that you mistake for a bat. But really we're only ever counting the bats that we can see. So all the counts that we actually do are probably a slight underestimation of the total number of bats that are there, assuming that you don't count any group twice by mistake. So that's one of the reasons why you have to be very systematic. Um, And so we do each colony once a month and then that gives us our monthly count and then we average up the month to work out what our yearly average is 
And so um, what we're not certain about is how much that they move between colonies. So we're doing some GPS tracking to work out that. So if you count uh, colony A on one day, do some of the bats move over to colony B and vice versa? Or are they only ever staying at the same colony? Um, so we're looking into that. Also, if you count the bats uh, first thing in the morning, are there still out bats out foraging? So we generally try to do uh, counts around mid-morning and mid-afternoon to make sure the bulk of the bats have gotten back in. The problem is it gets kind of hot then as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's particularly hot, the, some of the bats may go down under the canopy cover as well. So is that affecting things? So those are the sorts of stuff that we're looking at at the moment. And by counting the colonies regularly, we can track what the population's doing here on Rota. But over on Guam and Saipan and uh, elsewhere in the southern Mariana Islands, there isn't really any colonies. The bats are uh, roosting in small groups um, and just cause the, the, the small numbers that there actually are. So it makes actually counting the number of bats there a lot harder. Mm. So we're going to be flicking on to doing a different method and um, they currently do this on Guam where once a year um, Dr. Tammy Middleston she uh, organizes the Anderson Air Force um, island-wide and she gets a whole lot of observers and people come out uh, first thing in the morning when the bats are flying back to their roost mm. and every time they see a bat they write down the number of bats the distance and the bearing that they're on and the direction that they're heading and by doing that she can uh, work out if people at station the first station see a bats heading towards the second station she knows she's not counting the same bats twice so and she can use that to kind of hone in and, into where the bats roosting areas are and so we're planning on extending that to Gua, uh, to, to Saipan uh, this year and next year and hopefully starting a, a, a Saipan island wide count um, but if anyone ever sees a bat uh, anywhere on except for on Rota because uh, there's plenty of bats flying around here. But if you ever see a bat flying around on Guam, Tinian or Saipan, you should contact either the Fish Department of Fish and Wildlife or Guam Da and like report it in because we really do appreciate when the citizens get involved and let us know. Um, if you're on Rota and you come across a large colony, uh, let us know. We think we know where every single colony is, but if a new one starts up um, somewhere, it's always good to know. Um, from the locals. Okay, so what is it that creates them or creates the opportunity for them to start a new colony? Uh, food resources and roosting area. So at the moment they've gone through different phases on the island. Um, long before my time apparently uh, the, the entire bat population was out on the wedding cake uh, and then a typhoon came through and, and they basically dispersed to the rest of the island and broke up into smaller groups. Um, back when poaching was a major problem and happening quite regularly, including at the colony locations, uh, people would come and shoot at the colony and then they would pick up and leave and, and start somewhere else. Um, but So we have a whole lot of historical colonial sites um, where people have seen the bats in the past. Um, around where the bird sanctuary was, just before I turned up, there used to be a colony there but it slowly dropped down in numbers over time and, and then uh, the other colonies increased in number. So we think what was happening there, there just wasn't enough food resources around that area, so the bats relocated and to where they were. So it's a combination of uh, a suitable roosting habitat and also proximity to food resources that determines whether or not a colony will set up or not. Okay, and you, did you say how often they 
populate? I mean, like when the mating season? Is it all year round? We're not too sure. Okay. Uh, we, um, but another species is like a peak season, um, basically time. So the pups will be popping out when there's the most amount of food. Yeah. Um, I've been told that they've seen pups year round here, but there is a peak breeding season, and that's normally just when the the fruit really starts to kick off around November, September time. We start seeing um, young bats in the field. Okay. Anything else that you can think of? Um, that you wanted to point out? N- no, but. Uh, if even if you're not keen on bats we're always keen on um, people coming in getting involved in conservation um, if you want to help out the species uh, especially if you're coming from guam to any of the other islands keep an eye out for the brown tree snake don't be the person that um, has it sneak into your luggage and it gets onto one of the other islands uh, go plant some trees uh, ficus uh, mango breadfruit anything it's great for the environment not just for the bats but also for the people to eat as well Um, and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to working with as many people as possible so bat bat, uh, promotion right Mm, bat promotion Uh, and biggest thing anyone can really do is uh, recycle their plastic and plant a tree I think they're the two biggest you know you'll be happy to know my mother said that her mother told her plant a tree every day Mm. And she literally did. (laughs) Well, there's two sayings around trees that um, I really like. One of them is the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. And the second best time is now. So uh, 30 years ago, why? Because it takes time for the tree to get up to actually, or maybe 20 years ago, depending on the species. Um, And the second one's from uh, ancient Greece, which was uh, saying they had that a society grows great when old men plant trees in the shade that they will never sit so thank you for the shade yes thanks for the shade and i wish your project well not a problem you've been listening to arlene live on the kuam podcast network join her every monday for a new edition log on soundcloud.com slash kuam news or listen anytime scroll down and click on arlene We welcome your feedback and suggestions. Email Arlene, R-L-E-N-E, at arlenelive.com. Thanks for listening.